White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 747. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. From the palatial White Rocket Studios, located somewhere in a subspace pocket in hyperspace... It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Andy, how are you tonight? I'm doing fine, Van. How are you doing tonight? Good, good. We moved the headquarters around a little bit. Keep them, keep them, on, their, keep, keep them on their toes. Exciting. Yeah, keep them we, on their toes. We need to do one episode from the uh, the uh, um, League of Non-Aligned World, the, the Chambers. Yeah, from the Chambers. <laughs> That's good. We'll make a note to put, the, to put a recording apparatus in there so we can do that and beam it out through hyperspace or that laser... It, Laser transmitter right. on the front of Babylon 5. If we can squeeze it in there, it's kind of tight quarters. But. It is very tight. And I have something to say about that a little bit later, as you probably guessed. But we'll get to that. <laughs> I, I did guess that. Yeah. In the meantime, we are back for a rare week later, right? We've only been a week since we last convened. It feels like it's been about 20 minutes because it's so fun right. to, to, to see yeah. you and hang out with you. And, uh, and fortunately, our, we don't have any lag tonight. Everything's working tip-top. It looks like we got that, we got that hyperspace... Uh, ultraviolet That's channel right. link right i forgot about that it's, it does seem to be working just fine we just had a nice conversation about football and auto racing and there was no lag at all no lag at all been funny if it started now and by funny i mean horrifying <laughs> and i would scream but yes <laughs> so we're good so let's get this show on the road we are we were we were back last week at our normal time but we wanted to go ahead and talk about the road home the animated movie so again if if you haven't seen it you can listen to the beginning where we just kind of give an overview and how much we liked it in general. And then at some point within about 10 or 15 minutes, we hit the, uh, the old jump gate and go into spoiler space for the bulk of the episode. But uh, that show's gotten quite a few downloads. It's been pretty popular. So clearly people have gotten their DVDs, their Blu-rays, their downloads, you know, whatever, their streaming of it, and they've watched it. And so um, we well, should have some feedback about it tonight. I hope so. I, you know, I have seen a lot of um, advertising by Warner Brothers. Really, on various segments of the internet. Yeah, they're 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 really pushing this. Oh, I haven't seen anything. Um, and JMS is out there talking about it too uh, oh. on Twitter and, and talking to magazines and stuff like that about about the uh, um, not just the the movie the animated movie but about other stuff. <laughs> he actually did an interview about the uh, Legends of the Rangers. <laughs> oh gosh! Well, yeah, I did see that and. The bet the less said the better. We, we of course it is back behind me here, yes. giving giving off an, an aura of dread um, behind me. 
Uh, we will, of course, talk about that when the time comes, but it's right. going to be one of the last things we talk about <laughs> for Babylon 5 on video before we run out of things to talk about. I, uh, I think that's the I think that's the one that we're going to do the uh, the group the group watch with with all the patreons and we oh can all gosh. comment on it live. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I th- yeah, I think the only thing that we would have to talk about after that is the Lost Tales because we've already done the animated movie now. Right. So, so uh, unless we want to revisit it again, I might need to honestly because those of you that listened to the to our show last week about the lo- about the animated movie, The Road Home. I've, I was just telling Andy before we started that I'm on a well. I'm, we'll get to that in a second, but I'm going to have to watch it again because I get more confused. You know, it was like when when you and I sat when you and I sat down to talk about it, I thought I understood it, and right. as we talked with a slowly growing dread in the pit of my stomach, I realized I did not understand it as well as I thought I did. And in the days since our show, reading other people talking about it on the internet, I have come to realize I really didn't understand it as well as I did. And I get more confused everything I learn about it. Every time I learn something new about it, I'm like, wait, what? What? So I'm going to have to watch it again. And this time, instead of going, like, basically, let's be honest. When I watched it the one time before, the, it was uh-huh. like the day it came out, I watched it like this. <laughs> cool. <laughs> oh, look, <laughs> look, look at Zathras. Look at oh, Zathras. Zathras is cool. <laughs> yeah, it goes out. Yeah. That's pretty much in my head. I wasn't saying that out loud. That's pretty much what my yeah. head was doing. So I missed some of the finer subtleties of this, of this work, okay? But I'm going to watch it again, and this time I will pay more attention and take notes. And I'll just segue on into our news segment, and I'll do this right quick because it's a segue. That is because in just a few days, I will be at DragonCon 2023, as our listeners know. It is September, I mean, uh, it is August 31st through September 4th, I think. It's Thursday, yeah, Friday, set. Yeah, a week from tonight. Yeah, this is Thursday that we're recording this, so it, it officially right. kicks off a week from tonight. Right. Uh, Mira and I will be flying into Atlanta Wednesday afternoon, and a good friend of mine picks us up at the airport every year, takes us out to dinner, and then drops us off at our hotel. And then Thursday morning we get up and go get our, uh, our credentials, and it is on like Cosmic Donkey Kong at that point. We are just <laughs> running here and there and here and there for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, and then Monday we fly home. It is m- nerdy gras. It is absolutely <laughs> the greatest experience you can have as a sci-fi and fantasy comics and whatever fan. It's so good. It is and, on my bucket list, and I really, really, really am planning on doing it next year. I hope so. You're always welcome, of course. And, All of right. course, one of our table buddies, uh, Alan J. Porter, the great Alan J. Porter, who does the James Bond pods with me, He's not able to come this year, so this would have been perfect for you. You had a whole space. There's a whole space you would have had with no competition. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, So, I say that to say I'll be on a Babylon 5 panel, uh, I think, on Friday or Saturday afternoon. Oh, Saturday. Definitely Saturday because it's during the Auburn football game. (laughs) So, it's Saturday. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be missing the Auburn-UMass game. I think I'll live, but... uh, it's because I'm on a panel, and and the, the the guy I'll be on there with, of course, is John Hudgens, the guy that does the B5 music videos. He's on. I, I do. He's he and I end up on Battle on Five panels every year, so we're in the military sci-fi track, in the Westin. So if you are coming to DragonCon, and lots and lots of people are, 
the Westin Hotel, which is the big glass cylinder, the Sharky's Machine, Burt Reynolds Hotel in Atlanta. Oh, man, that was a great movie. Oh, yeah. It's that hotel. Okay. And Mira and I have a room in it, too, so we'll be staying up in the big glass cylinder where, uh, where, Har- cool. where uh, wasn't Harvey Keitel, it was uh, the other guy from the... Yeah. But anyway, where he went, where Bert knocked him through the glass and out. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we'll be staying in that hotel. We're staying in the Babylon 5 hotel. I'm very excited about that. In fact, that hotel kind of looks like Babylon 5. <laughs> it's a big cylinder, big uh, rotating cylinder. So anyway, come on out. We're going to talk about the road home with John Hudges and a few other guests and me, and we'll have a good time in the military sci-fi track. That's the same track that also covers things like um, Farscape, Firefly, Space 1999, um, basically military-oriented sci-fi shows that don't have a home somewhere else like on the Star Trek, the Trek track or something. So, Gotcha. Do you have any news before we get into this episode? I, uh, um, Bruce Boxleitner is going to be in Columbus at a little teeny tiny toy convention. Yeah, that's cool. At, at, at the uh, the fairgrounds up, up there. And it just completely shocked me. I, I thought they were going to have like a cardboard standee or something like that. I mean, I, I can't believe he's actually going to be there. So I, I think my wife and I are going to go up there and, and see oh. him and maybe get a selfie or an autograph or something. That would be great. Yeah, he's going to be at Dragon Con too. So when is that? When is yours? That is this coming Sunday. So he's he's going to do Dragon Con just a few days after this. So yeah, there you go. I guess he just figures he'll fly out and do a couple of things and, okay. and go back home. And he's charging a hundred bucks for a selfie and a and a Ooh. autograph. So holy cow! Yeah, he's going to make some lunch money for Dragon Con. I was fortunate to moderate for him and Mira Furland in 2012, and so I got all the autographs and pictures and whatnot that I could while I had them right there with me trapped, right. you know, That's but, uh, awesome. that was luck. It was just totally the, you know, I got to do it, but, um, uh, okay. So, and yeah, so he'll be, I think, I think John Hudgens, that's going to be this, the, the video guy, he's going to do an interview panel with box Leitner and, um, Lockley and maybe, and I think Ivanova, I think it's the three of them, gotcha. three so people Tracy- that have, Tracy Scoggins and, and uh, Claudia Christian, yeah. Claudia Christian, yeah. The three people that have commanded the station, other than Sinclair, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and Atumbe. Oh, I've got something to say about Major Tumbe coming up <laughs> later as well. I'm horrified uh, to learn something, and we're going to share it with our audience coming up, yeah. Uh oh. Yeah, he's been disrespected. Major Atumbe has been major disrespected that should be his nickname major disrespect (laughs) we'll get to it i'm looking forward i'm looking forward to that now andy we are coming together tonight to talk about episode 419 we are running out of season four we are very quickly we have somehow managed to stretch season four out over almost the entire year like we started season four i'm pretty sure in 2022 to maybe 2021 <laughs> it feels like it It was a while back and we yeah. still got three more to go and they're three pretty big ones yeah but they, yeah they are they are really big yeah three three very different big ones interestingly yeah but tonight is certainly a big one tonight is a very transitional episode right yes mm-hmm. so this is 419 between the darkness and the light and that's an interesting title because of course it is a Minbari expression. It is something that they say that the Grey Council is, we are gray, we stand between the candle and the star, between the darkness and the light. And it also is an episode that really does take us from the darkness of Sheridan being in custody 
as we saw in the last episode, to Sheridan sitting on the bridge of the Agamemnon. He, right, I mean, think about it. At the beginning of this episode, he's in a chair as a prisoner. Right. And at the end, he's in a chair commanding a, a battleship against those people. Yep. So definitely it goes from the darkness to the light. Right. And then with a little bit more darkness in there right there at the end. Oh, gosh, yeah. And there's, we'll talk about that, too. So. Yeah. Big things. All right. Production number 419 originally aired October 6th, 1997. You may remember that we were talking about how um, this was originally supposed to be the first episode of season five, basically. Right. And, and the way that, for whatever reason, the way that P10 aired these shows originally in the night, in the, you know, in 1997, they aired last episode and then went months before airing this one. And so it did end up being the cliffhanger kind of by accident. Right. Which is so weird. Um, Oh, I remember the cliff too. I remember going like, "Come on, where's the next episode? You got to be kidding me!" Uh, but yeah, October sixth, ninety seven. Man, ninety seven was a good year with all this going on. Written by JMS, directed by David Eagle, who is on our Mount Rushmore of yep. B five directors. Yep. And oh, here we go. It's the P five rating. Oh, shit. yeah. It, I forgot we were doing this. <laughs> it's our chance to find out if Andy can guess. The P the P five rating, again for those that don't know, I always explain it every week. When the show first aired, a website called the Lurker's Guide to Babylon Five did a poll of hundreds or thousands of fans on the internet that week and asked them rate this episode zero to ten, and they and they averaged out to the second decimal place, like six point nine or something, right? No, six point nine five or something. Right. Right. So, right. right. So every week now, I get the P5 rating, and I see if Andy can guess what it was. Do we know how many people voted in this every week back then? Uh, let me see if I can find... I'm, I'm very curious about that. Um, I, I'm going to go to the episode... Uh, okay, here it is. Number of voters for this episode, 112. Oh, Okay. So it's not like they had thousands of people voting. No. And here's something very interesting. It ra- it lists all the voters by name and by the number they voted. Really? So there's no hiding? No. And it says what they voted, and they're in order. So I can tell you that Brian Tazo gave this episode a 4.5 out of 10. Wow. What was what was what Burr was up his butt? Not that we're calling out Brian Tazo in case he's a listener. No, I would never say his name on the air. Oh crap! <laughs> uh, you but, know what? Maybe he just didn't get the episode. I guess he didn't. Clearly, less than a half. Or, wow. or maybe he thought he was doing it out of five. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't tell you any other numbers because it would influence how you might uh, calculate. Right. I'm, I'm sure he, he didn't throw the curve or anything like that. But it, he's probably it, an, out, an outlier. It is neat, though, that you can go to this webpage and see everybody's vote for every episode and what they, how they voted and everything. That's cool. All right. So what do you think on a scale of 0 to 10? And this is, this is hard, too, because you and I do a – if I had it to do over again, I'd make our scale 0 to 10 also so that it would match right. – what do you think the public on first viewing of this episode on average said? 
9.35. Now, tell the audience how you derive that, because I know there's a formula you use now. Right. I take what, uh, what I think we would rate it, and I double that, and I add like half a point. So before you add half a point, what's the P5 rating this time? Uh, like an 8.8, I think, between you and I combining. The P5 rating this episode is 8.84. Holy cow. <laughs> so this was one time, one time where you didn't need to add right. the, I would, I would call it the, you didn't need to add the, it's brand new to us bonus. Right. Right. <laughs> you, or, or you could call it the you and I have seen it a hundred times penalty. Right. You yeah. can look at it, you know, half full, half empty kind of a thing, right? Chicken egg. Okay. So, yeah, 8.84. A little lower than we might have expected, but still yeah, really good. Definitely. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I'll tell you this because I just looked at it. There were a bunch of 10s. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. But there were this weird handful of that 4.5, and then there were like 6, 6, 6.5, 6.5. There were several of those. A whole lot of 8.59, some 9.5, and then like 20 tens, which is what pulled it up to almost 9. Yeah. Well, I think all the uh, uh, oh, all the lower rated ones were Claudia Christensen's I, family. I, I, I was just about to say, I think we had the same idea at the same time. I was about to say, those were Ivanova fans. Right. <laughs> That's exact. I think you have hit upon it. All right, I believe it's your turn to do the summary, unless you'd rather me... It is. No, I can do the summary. All right. Um, Garibaldi works with the Mars Resistance to and with uh, um, Dr. Franklin and Lita to rescue Sheridan. And meanwhile, Ivanova is leading the the fleet against um, more of uh, uh, President Clark's forces. And they get some intelligence that they might be heading into a trap. <laughs> and oh, I should have. I wish I'd had this ready. Um, oh, I've I've changed the. Dang it! Hold on a second. I got to do this. <laughs> I can't believe I messed this up. Oh, it's all screwed up. My gosh. <laughs> oh, here it is. All right. So yeah. So they're leading Ivanova's team into. It's a trap. There you go. That wasn't really worth the wait. <laughs> no, that wasn't. <laughs> Sorry. The payoff, the payoff didn't fit. <laughs> yeah, I know. I have that on my on my other soundboard. This is what happens when I move the Babylon. See, this week I bought five. I bought four new soundboard files, so I moved our Babylon Five sounds to their own board. But that means it's harder to get to all the others, and I didn't think I would need the others. And then, well, of course, the very first week I do it, I want the others. So there you go. Right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Noto- notable guest stars this week: Mark Gomez as Eisenson, Marjorie Monahan as Number One, yeah. David Purdom as Captain James. That's the captain of the Agamemnon. Right. Bruce Gray as the interrogator. And right. remember, remember, Andy, if you interrogate, you're an interrogator. But if you alligate, you're not an alligator. <laughs> oh, Lord, yeah. that is a dad joke if I've ever heard one. Yeah. <laughs> That's another sound effect I needed that's on the wrong board now. I may have to put I may have to put these back on the other board so I can get to my other one. All right. So what kind of factoids and notes do you have for us this week? The only one that I dug up was um, Richard Biggs was in, in the scene when they're uh, um, almost discovered by the guards and they jump out and attack them. Yeah. They hide and then they jump out and fight them. That was supposed to be only 
Garibaldi doing that. But Richard Biggs, he wanted to be in the fight scene so bad, he lobbied the director over and over and over again, finally got the whole cast and crew on his side. So um, Eagle finally went to JMS, and and uh, actually it was it was uh, Copeland, because JMS wasn't available. He was gone. So he went to Copeland, who was the producer on set, and uh, laid it all out, and Copeland gave him the go-ahead. Because Eagle was very, very afraid to, to stray from the, the script. Oh, because absolutely. JMS did not like that. And he even said, specifically, you know, Richard, I don't know what... what uh, um, Joe has in store for you. I don't know if this will mess. If if you throw a punch at this guy, that may screw up something you know down the line that I don't know about, and I don't. I, I'm not about to do that. But Copeland finally gave him the the, the nod, and uh, they filmed it. And Richard Biggs was so excited that if you watch the the scene, he really decks the guy. <laughs> he punched him dead in the face. Oh, knocked no. him un- knocked him unconscious. Oh, Almost wow. knocked out his eyeball. The guy had to go to the hospital, so that was the only take they got with that stuntman. So they had to use it. So if you notice, he knocks him out cold, and Richard Biggs instantly goes down next to him to check to see if he's okay. The guy's out cold, but Richard Biggs continues with the the scene like it's you know like the trooper he is. <laughs> but that that security guard was actually knocked unconscious wow. by Richard Biggs. That's amazing. That's some good. That's some good stuff. And I was and gonna he, say he he felt so terrible about it because. You yeah. know, he lobbied to get in the scene and all that stuff, and he said, you know what, I'm done with that. From now on, it's strictly by the script. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just thinking, though, it was in character form to check on the guy because he's a doctor. So he punches him right. and knocks him out, and then immediately like starts administering first aid. That's just what Franklin's right. going to do, right? Right, exactly. So that makes sense. Yeah, then uh, he kills him right after that. Because <laughs> well, they're like, what, did you dispose of the bodies? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was, there were some odd things to do with uh, the guards in this episode, which we'll, I guess we'll get right. to. Right, yeah. Um, I was just going to say a couple of things. It, it, this episode felt very odd to me. It felt like, I mean, it's like, it's, this is another one of those episodes that when I look back on it out of sequence, I just look, think back to this part of the story, I can't ever remember how it all fits together. It's, it's just like with the Minbari Civil War that we talked about. It's shorter than you think. Right. Right? I mean... It it's um it's like we we just got Sheridan captured two episodes ago. He was being interrogated last episode, and then this episode he's free and back on board getting ready to launch his assault. Right. So a lot happens, but I wouldn't have I couldn't have told you off the top of my head, not having seen it in a few years, I couldn't have told you what was in what episode? It 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 feels like pieces of different episodes kind of glued together, and in fact, it is in part right because we know right. we know that the um, I th- and we'll get to this in a second, but I think it's like uh, there's a segment with Garibaldi that was supposed to be in the last episode. Yeah, the whole the whole thing with him trying to get in contact with the uh, Mars Resistance, and then um, mm-hmm. the scene with him and uh, Lita and uh, Franklin were they're they're. Trying to figure out if they're going to kill him or not. That was all filmed to be part of last episode. And I think by putting it in this one, it really did cram the story in faster. Like we get all of that in forty minutes, you know, instead of spread right. out over two hours. So, right. I'm not saying that's good or bad. It's just it did that. Whether you like it or hate it, it it did that. It accelerated that part of the story because. Because that last episode just kind of took us on a... It just stomped on the brakes for 40 minutes, right? That last episode right. was just like, 
everything comes to a halt. And right. now it's like we jump on the gas pedal and zoom all the way to the Agamemnon. It, it seemed like the, the rescue should have been, there should have been more elaborate. I mean, it, it was just over and done with so quickly. Yeah. You know, and, and it was so easy for him. You know, just the three of them snuck in there and punched a couple guards and, and walked out, right out with them. And it, it just seemed like it, it deserved, that part of the story deserved to have a lot more, um, uh, a lot more plot added to that. It, it, it just didn't, it, it seemed to be like almost an afterthought. Oh, we got to figure a way to get Captain Sheridan out. Um, here, let's do this real quick. Yeah, they gave us like three moments of peril, and we overcame those pretty quickly. Right. And then he's done. And the next thing you know, he's on the White Star. And you know, right. there was a scene missing there, which I actually have in my notes, but I'll go ahead and mention it. Somebody asked JMS, was a scene missing? Because it's like they're helping him out of the interrogation area. And then the next thing, next time you see him, he's on the White Star. Right. I was starting to wonder if he was hallucinating again or something. <laughs> Especially after the beginning. Yeah, because we, we didn't see any transition between that. And there was one they had to take it out because when they put the eight minutes or whatever of Garibaldi in this episode, then this episode ran over and they had to, they had to right. take something out. And that's what they ended up taking out. So. so anyway, that was interesting. Also, talking about alternate universes, we got a rare moment of Jakar and Londo being in total agreement and like finishing each other's sentences and stuff. And right. that was odd. And Jakar was smiling. Yes. I mean, well... In, like, season one, and maybe part of season two, what made Jakar happy was, like, threatening to kill Londo and, and destroying the Centauri. After right. that, what makes La what makes Jakar happy is getting to be sort of benevolent. You know what I mean? Getting to be exactly. space lizard Santa Claus. Right. <laughs> That's what... Kind of kind of space lizard Gandhi Santa Claus Martin Luther King. Yeah. That's what makes him happy now. Right. And so he was getting to do something nice for Sheridan and Earth, and it made him happy. And if, if that meant putting up with Londo for five minutes, he, he just kind of let it go over, go past him, and he did it. Right. So, But it was interesting. I, and again, it's so that's why it hit so hard back in like season two or three when we have Londo as Space Hitler, you know? Because he's so evil to Jakar, and in the rest of the series, before and after, they're just kind of hanging. Right. It's so strange. So, uh, let's see. I, I thought it was interesting that Jakar talks about the humans are the glue that holds the various alien governments and races together because at the exact same time, the Clark administration is pushing this line that alien governments are trying to control Earth. So, it's kind of the opposite. You know what I mean? I think he's talking more about the humans on board Babylon Five, or just humans in general. Yeah. Not the not the not the Earth, not the humans. Oh, government. I know, I know, I agree with that. But I just mean it's interesting how there's two completely opposite views of the humans' right. relationship with the uh, with the aliens. I agree. One I is that we are a positive force influencing them, and the other is that they're a negative force influencing us. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah. That is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, this I, I noted this Sheridan's use of the Agamemnon after Ivanova's fall has symbolic meaning on another level Agamemnon was the commander of the Greek forces during the Trojan War played by Brian Cox and he sacrificed his daughter Iphigenia to ensure fair win for his ships Ivanova while obviously not Sheridan's daughter sacrificed herself to ensure that the fleet would make it to Mars yep 
That's cool. And I would point out that something similar happens in Game of Thrones when um, uh, Stannis sacrifices his daughter to make the snow melt. Right. So the army can march and not be trapped in the freezing snow and ice, which was horrible. Right. It was, as, as horrible as so much was on that show. <laughs> <laughs> or, or just hard to watch, right? It was very hard to watch. It was harder yeah. to read, man. You should read the books. Holy crap. <laughs> I've read all the books. Oh, have you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, try, I, I tried to read the first one a second time, and I got about 30 pages in, started cursing um, Sean Bean's guy, and threw it across the room and haven't tried to read him since. I, you know, I threw, I threw, I think it was the second or the third book across the room, The Red Wedding. Oh, yes. I, I threw that book across the room and didn't even pick it up for a good week, week and a half, because I was so pissed off. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's true. But I kept reading it. I kept reading it after that. That's, you know, it's funny. We're talking about Game of Thrones here for a second. You know, the reason I read Game of Thrones, though, all those books, was it was it was like 2000, and a friend of mine that knew I liked Babylon 5 said, you need to read these books. They're the Babylon 5 of fantasy. <laughs> and now people describe Babylon 5 as the Game of Thrones in space. I guess so, yeah. But I did. I mean, when he said that, I ran right out, and the the, the first two were out. The third one had was about to come out. I bought I bought the first one in paperback, the second one in hardback. There, no, second one in paperback. The third one just came out in hardback. Got them right here behind me. Um, let me see. Can I tell you why I first started reading them? Yes. I first started reading them because a friend of mine was uh, part of a company that was producing a role-playing game based on Game of Thrones. Ah, okay. And I was I was playtesting the oh, uh, wow. the rules, oh. so I'm actually uh, I was named in the front of the book as as one of the, the playtesters. Oh, how cool! I I figured I'd better read. Yeah, that's I love the that big cover. one, Storm yeah. of Swords. Well, that is that is awesome. So, yeah, that's that's why I decided to start reading them. And it was about the same time period as you when you read them. I couldn't put him down. Now I'm kind of fed up with him. Um, the last thing on my little list of notes, Ivanova, we find out, has basically an eidetic or photographic memory or perfect recall. And that's going to be notable, as we'll get to in just a minute. Uh, let's see. Unanswered questions. I actually had a lot of unanswered questions this time, so buckle up. Here we go. What happened between Sheridan getting busted out of the interrogation area and being back on the White Star with Delenn? Well, we talked about that just now, but there's, there's a little right. bit more from JMS. I think we need to know a lot more about the Shadow Destroyers. What, when, how, where, what, capabilities, how did they make so many so quickly, how were they piloted, how did they work? And you know, is that spoiler space material? Possibly. All right. I, I think to be safe, we should move it back to there. Um, I have a question regarding that. When they were launching those fighters, when the when the the shadow destroyers were, were launching their fighters, I couldn't tell if the fighters were also using shadow tech or not. I, it's a fair question. I don't know. I I want to say no, but I can't. I can't swear to it. They seemed darker, but it was they were flying by too. I I should have paused when I was watching that, but they seemed darker. But maybe it was just the lighting that was darker. I don't know. I don't know if they were shadow shadow tech fighters or not. Well, they're those advanced star furies that can fly in an atmosphere, have like wings and stuff that they use right. in Crusade also. Yeah, yeah. I can't think what they're called, but they have a special name. Thunderbolts. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, I want to know more about those. I remember you could get the little die-cast model of them 
for the war game because I've still got some of those, but I, I never got yeah. those. I didn't want it. I've got an Excalibur I've never built. I got to build that thing someday. That that would be big. It's probably assembled going to be about six, seven inches long. Wow. Yeah. I've just never put it together because when I built them all back around two, 98, 99, I got so much super glue on my fingers that it just ripped my <laughs> fingertips to shreds. I had no fingerprints for about two years because of that. <laughs> so I'm reluctant to get back in the using super glue for model glue right. <laughs> activity again. I can appreciate that. That sounds yeah. painful. Yeah, it was not fun. You get, I mean, you just can't help but get super glue all over you when you're right. when you're building a metal ship that uses super glue for the for the glue. Right. Um, all right. Let's see. Why did Susan want Sheridan to command the final assault from the Agamemnon? What's your thought on that? I don't know because when we're watching that, Connie asked me the same thing, and I I didn't have an answer for. Her. I don't know. The Lurker's Guide, they say the symbolism aspect is the most likely explanation. A fleet led by an Earth warship will be harder for Clark to explain away as alien interference. It's also, it's also possible, given the discovery that not all the defecting ships are loyal to Sheridan, that Ivanova wanted Sheridan on the bridge of the Agamemnon to ensure that its captain couldn't betray the rebel cause. Now... That's my next question, unanswered question, is when did you finally start trusting Captain James of the Agamemnon? Because we've both looked at him, right, as... Mm. I, to this day, still don't trust Captain James <laughs> of the Agamemnon. <laughs> they, 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 we're in the equivalent of season 30 now, and Andy's like, I don't know about you, man. No, uh, I, he just I, he just seems too perfect. I, yeah. I mean, he's he's always you know he had no, he didn't hesitate when when Sheridan wanted his chair. I mean, yes, like, oh sure, go right ahead, please. Hopped right up. I mean, yeah, right? stood behind him. Yeah, yeah. He, I, I agree. I agree. I didn't ever trust him. I kept thinking, oh, he's totally clocked right. up. Right. He's shadowy. Um, how amazing would it be if they do the reboot? If Sheridan gets on the Agamemnon and James hops up and Sheridan sits down. And then, like, Mr. Morden walks out of the shadows. <laughs> Hello, that Captain. Welcome aboard that my ship. Anyway, uh, let's see. Man, the White Star got pretty, that, that Susan was on, got pretty banged up. It got really banged up. Like, the whole I'm, front end was gone. Yeah, yeah. And, the, I mean, that bridge took a direct shot from the debris. I'm surprised that it didn't, you know, evacuate into space as... as Oh yeah, hard as that was it. I mean, it, I, that's what I that's what I couldn't figure out. Yeah, it, it was it was it was pretty messed up to have all that structural damage and not have a, a hole breach was was impressive. Yeah, we have to we have to chalk that up to the Vorlon tech part of the equation. Right. I would imagine. Right. Uh, let's see. You know, during that scene when the the white stars would go in and attack the uh, um, shadow destroyers. They didn't look very big. And then when they were being chased by the, the fighters, the White Stars looked downright tiny. Yes. Because, or they were using really big, giant fighters because there was like two or three fighters on the you know, rear end of each White Star, and they were, you know, they looked to be about the same size. It was crazy. Yeah, I, I thought, agree. For a second there, I thought that, that there was White Star-shaped fighters that, that the White Stars had deployed. Yeah. But it, it was it was really weird that, that I, I don't know who was doing the, the graphics for that, but the White Stars looked awfully tiny for that fight scene. 
I think before this show is over, we will see a smaller white star, but I'm not going to say where or why or how. Right. Um, I had an unanswered question that I just moved down into the spoiler space just to be safe. We'll talk about it okay. at the end. Um, why was Londo so hepped up to help Sheridan? I, I don't know. I guess he owed him one. He thought he owed him one. That's what he said. I mean, for saving his home world and stuff like that. But it, it just, it, it seemed a little sudden for Londo to be working mm-hmm. with Jakar and pulling all the, the, you know, non-aligned worlds together and standing up for Earth and stuff like that. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that he was, you know, still the emperor of, of Cent- the Centauri and was causing trouble for everybody. So yeah. It seemed, it just seemed a little soon for, for that. It, it seemed like he'd gone back to season one, Londo, almost. Exactly, yeah. He was, yeah, downright jovial. Yeah, he needed a purple purple coat. Purple, purple coat. Right. Um, why didn't Sheridan object? I told you I have several unanswered questions here. Why didn't Sheridan object to the other alien governments joining in to help after earlier telling them not to? Yeah, I had that same question. Did he lose I enough mean, white stars that he had no choice? Or that could be. Or... Or the fact that they were going up against the, the the new Shadow Destroyers, he didn't know what else they had yeah. in store. I don't know. Yeah, because they, they did lose a, a fair number of White Stars going up against those, those <sighs> they sure Destroyers. They're like the Eagles in Space 1999. In this case, they were in terms of uh, being expendable and just trashing right. them. Time to right. make more. Hey, the workers cast, they can't sit idly on their hands. Right. Start cranking more out more. Well, actually, though, it was the religious cast that built them, wasn't it? I thought it was the workers that built them. Because didn't we talk about this during the the religious cast commissioned yeah. the ships? Well, I know the, the religious cast wanted them, but I was thinking somehow the religious cast actually built them. I don't know if they actually know how to work, though. They I just know. know how to, they just know how to preach. I was going to say, maybe they piled all the raw materials up in the dock and then prayed. <laughs> and <laughs> poof! A ship! And they did and that the about army, 50 whole, times. The whole army of Zathrai showed up and put them all together. <sighs> That would be so good. <laughs> this white star built by Zatras. <laughs> that one built by Zatras. You seeing difference? Yes. <laughs> Last unanswered question: What is the status of Sheridan's dad? That was never addressed, was it? Because he nope. he would still be in in captivity if what they were telling him was true at all about him being captured. Oh, well, I mean, the whole reason that Sheridan went to Mars and got himself caught was over his dad. And now he's just right. like, oh, well, screw him. Right. So we got to find out what happened to his dad. My uh, qu- I, I, have a, I have a question. Do you have more questions? No, that's all mine. All right, I have a question. Where did, where did Dr. Franklin get the blue uniform? I was wondering that. Well, they were changing clothes there. They must have brought some stuff with them because you, you did see them changing at one point. I thought they took those off the two guards they knocked out. Do you, do you think they brought them those themselves oh, that could maybe be i guess maybe so maybe they, yeah maybe they replicated I, they went to the replicator and replicated some new uniform yeah maybe so that's one of those things where i just say oh i guess they if they if they have it now and they needed it they must have brought it or right. found it so <laughs> don't ask too many questions is how i look at that right. but no that's a definitely right. good answer fair, question fair enough all right last thing on this is jms speaks and i mentioned that there was a scene that got cut um yeah, the Garibaldi material through the map sequence with number one was originally in intersections in real time. It got shunted to 419. Then they had to take a scene out of this one. Um, 
So somebody asked about Ivanova's eidetic memory, and JMS says she's a latent telepath about a P1, as has been established on the show in the past. That gives her a slight edge in many areas. Also, an eidetic memory does not equal facility with language, and JMS goes on to talk about how he's terrible at languages, even though he has a pretty photographic memory. So, hmm. um, Somebody asked him, the new, the new Earth ships with shadow tech, are they susceptible to telepaths? And he says, negative, they don't have living beings as CPUs. They're still working and adapting the basic tech. The other stuff is still a bit advanced. Right. So there's like... And cr- that, that's why they went down as easily as they did. Yeah. I mean, not that they went down easy, but the fact that they were able to be destroyed by the White Stars without resorting to tricks or telepaths showed that they were just using just the bare bones technology. They were a... They were a step below the shadow ships, but not a huge step below. Right. Which makes what the White Stars did even more impressive. Right. Um, and, and by the way, we didn't really address it, but to me that meant they had hulls that could self-repair quickly and they had more powerful weapons. Is that kind of how you saw it? Yep. Better sensors and tougher to, tougher to hit and packed more of a punch. They really packed a punch, man. Yes, they Com- did. Compared to the old ones, yeah. Right. And by the way... I really, really hate seeing the shadow tech on the on the destroyers because those Earth destroyers are my number three all time favorite spaceship. As much as I agree with you, those ships are really, really cool. <laughs> I thought that they were when I first saw those. I remember watching the the show way back when in the nineties when I first saw those. I yeah. just about fell out of my chair. Yeah. I thought those things were like because they said you know they have more advanced destroyers. They may be using some alien technology. I was like, all right, they're going to, you know, have maybe better weapons or something. But when those things flew out with the the, the black texturing and the, yeah. the oh, yeah. appendages hanging off of it, that was that was. Cool. I My reaction to them was very much like Ivanova's, which is, uh, we got to destroy these things. We got to blow well, these yeah, things yeah. to hell, man, <laughs> immediately. That we, this cannot be. This is an outrage right. and a sacrilege, and it cannot be, and we must kill them all immediately. Um, I get that. But they're cool. Let's see. Yeah, it, it is an interesting idea. Um, oh, guess who was running the station in everyone's absence? This is what I told you was going to come up. Uh-oh. Atumbe. It was not Major Atumbe. It was Lieutenant Corwin. Oh, Corwin. come on. This is what I mean by major disrespect for Major okay. Atumbe. Well, Corwin. It, it, well, Corwin ran it during the day, but Atumbe was still running it at night. And you got to think that Corwin ha- would have to like report to him because he's right. a lieutenant. Right. Exactly. You know what? Maybe a Tube turned out to be a Clarky. Oh, don't bring me down like that. All no, right. Right. no, no. I have to believe that the next day after ceremonies of light and dark, if, um, Delenn presented Major Tube with his black army of light uniform. <laughs> All right. Who do we want? You know, it would end up being somebody like Tony Todd or something. But who do right. we who do we want to be Major Atumbe? Is it Lawrence Fishburne? Sure. I, you know, I I would want it to be Yafet Koto, but he's oh, dead, so he would have been perfect for it. He would have been so. He has the gravitas so, and the stature. Oh, yes. He would have been absolutely perfect. For Yafet Koto would have been perfect. Nowhere. He would have been menacing as hell, but also yeah. funny. Right. When he wanted to be. Yeah. He would scare you to death with a look, and then he could be funny. Uh, those looks that he used to throw were just yeah. amazing. Yeah. 
And what what was the name? Of, he was that that the head cop in that one cop show. I forget what it was. I know him mainly from Live and Let Die and Alien. Yeah, but he he was the head detective and or the the police chief of a of a really popular cop show back in the the early the mid 90s or something like that oh, i forget what it was i'm gonna have to look that up now but yeah yeah do that. oh and he would he would just throw those looks yeah the the side eye because he had the the heavy right. half-lidded eyes and all oh that yeah stuff. He, he was such a great actor i all love right. yeah so we want we agree we want yafet kato in his prime as major Tumbe. right we have a couple of understudies if necessary but that's who we would really want so okay. yes um last couple of jms speaks um Somebody asked, it's, it seemed improbable that a white star could run into a piece of debris, and JMS basically says the pilot wasn't paying attention, they were at high speed, visibility was poor, and then he says, if you want to go back and listen to what's being said in the episode, Marcus calls out that the navigational system is damaged, they're trying to repair yep. it when the big chunk of debris hits them. They couldn't get out of the way for that exactly. reason. Exactly. Um, some have complained about the rescue, arguing they wanted to see a big battle. He yeah. says the answer is wait seven days. Well, okay, but besides that, um, if you do that, you can kiss goodbye any chance of the fleet then doing what it's supposed to be doing, which is the liberation of Earth. While they're tied up and planet-bound on one side at Mars, Earth swoops in and knocks them out. You also lose any possible aspect of surprise. Rescuing Sheridan had to be done quickly through the back door rather than the fleet that some might have been expecting. So it would look like a resistance job, not a fleet job. Right. But to that point, they should have had the resistance help because the resistance didn't help at all. Now, I don't know if no. they're trying to save money, Yeah. you know, as far as budgetary concerns and all that, but... I mean, it was right there set up for them to have a big resistance push to, to help rescue him. And it would have made more sense story-wise, too, because like I said earlier, the way they did end up rescuing him seemed almost laughable that you know that the, the Earth Force guards were that stupid. Well, I, I think that they, again, JMS, when JMS has to write something that seems stupid, and he knows it, he tries to cover for it with dialogue and stuff that sets it up, just like I just said. And I feel like for this one, he covered it up by saying, if they get Sheridan back to Earth, we could never get close to him. We have to get him now on Mars when it's when it is this scatter shot. Right. You know. Now I agree that it was still too easy, but that would be I think JMS's answer is it was too easy because it was on Mars and they hadn't really gotten him moved relocated yet. You know, right. they were still kind of had him in a holding cell as opposed to a prison or something. You know. Maybe even if off screen they had the resistance like do something as a distraction or something like that that they yeah. could have just covered with a line or two of dialogue. That's true. Um, just, just I don't know. It, it just you know the three of them just kind of waltzing in there and saying, "No, nah, we're taking the prisoner and punching a couple guys out." It seems. A little How would you like to be the Earth Force uh, officer or aide that has to go into the Oval Office or whatever and tell <laughs> Clark, uh, Mister President? Uh, Sheridan escaped. Uh, yeah, he might get splattered with some ketchup. Oh my! <laughs> I got that. I got that. William Morgan Clark or Morgan William Clark. You know, it's never been entirely clear which order his names go in. I think it's like on one episode he's called Morgan William Clark, and they generally call him Morgan Clark. Yeah. But on the B five card game card, it says William Morgan Clark, which I sounds better with, to me. Right. 
I would go with what they say in the show as as canon versus what yeah, but it some satisfy. intern probably wrote down on a file <laughs> for the card game. <laughs> do do not impugn the reputation of Kevin Tuart and the crowd I, at, <laughs> and the crowd I'm at uh, Eternity dot com. I'm not impugning anything. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I've um, heard stories about how some of these games were thrown together and by who and 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 what they snuck through and all that stuff. So, <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. I, I would put it this way. When the Babylon 5 card game was first created, a lot of thought went into it, but it had some had a lot of big holes you could drive a, an Earth Alliance destroyer through. Yeah. The guy that took it over about halfway through, they really tightened it up. All the new cards that came out in the second half of that exi- of its existence were useful. They weren't coasters, as we called them. You know, They were good. <laughs> and um, they really focused on... It's kind of like the first couple of sets focused on using pictures from the show and trying to get a lot of things from the show in. The right. second half focused on the game mechanics, doing right. cards that related to making the game better. So if you like the card, if you haven't ever played the card game, Andy and I will play it again soon, hopefully. Yes. You check it out. You, you have to understand the whole the whole dynamic of, of the gaming industry at that time and the, the yeah. economics behind the, the collectible card game fad and all that stuff to, to know why exactly what you said was not at all uncommon in collectible card games back then. That was weird. Okay. Uh, last one. Why were there no cameras monitoring Sheridan, someone asked. And JMS says, Torturers rarely videotape their work, thus assuring it can never be used against them should things not go their way all the time. This is kind of pro forma in South America, for instance. That's his quote. Right. Not so much in the U.S. Army. Yeah. All right. We are to the categories. All right. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. What was your high point of the episode? High point of the episode for me was the space battle between the uh, the, the dark destroyers. and Do they have an official name, those destroyers? I just call them the shadow destroyers. Yeah, the shadow, between the shadow destroyers and the, the fleet of, of um, white stars. I, I, yeah. That was just a fantastic scene from yep. the character standpoint and... The action standpoint and the the design of the ships, and you know I'm a ship guy, so that that was the highlight of the episode for me. I thought that was that was fantastic and very dramatic too. It was. It you know what? It almost looked to me almost more like something out of Crusade than out of Battle Five. Yeah. With the big capital ships firing their surface point guns in different directions as the fighters all flew around. That that reminded yeah. me of, of the Excalibur yep. to a large degree. Um, I noted my my high point was when Susan does her God sent me speech, yes. which is she takes it right up to the edge of implausibility, but never crosses it because yeah. she sells it. Right. Absolutely. You know what I mean? It was that that's another category for me altogether. But yeah, if she had been just a little less serious about it, it would have fallen yep. apart. I think. Right, because we're so used to her giving lines like that in a, almost a serious yet joking manner, you know, yeah. all throughout the series. This time she really meant it. And oh she yes. Was this was her. If, if you value your lives, be somewhere else speech. Right. Exactly. Yeah, boy. Um, and I noted that she also gets to say she's going to kick somebody's ass twice in this episode. Right. <laughs> Good for a Twice. Twice. That's, that's like uh, Sheridan getting to, 
say he's going to nuke something twice in the same episode. <laughs> or send him straight to hell. Straight to hell, yeah. Nuke, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Straight to hell, exactly. This was, this was a great Ivanova episode. I it mean, was. This was a spectacular Ivanova episode. Just the the character moments she had and the, the her story arc and, and, I mean, everything. It was it was a great, I mean, it had a sad, you know, end, but it was a fantastic Ivanova episode. One of the best ones out there, I, I would say. And how long have we been waiting for a fantastic Ivanova episode? Right. It's been a while since, you know, hmm. she's had anything to do at all. I mean, she's this almost is, been an afterthought. I think, Andy, I think this is why we were so surprised how much she did in the first two seasons. Because when you watch the third and fourth seasons and she gets less and less and less, we got used to that being her normal. Right. So when we went back and watched the first season, we're like, remember? we were Every week we were like, there was a lot of Ivanova. Right. And we liked yeah. it. But we, we were like, we wow. So, yeah, I think it's true. But but I'm glad that when they did use her a lot, finally, it was in a very she – was, she was, like, super important this time. Yeah. Yeah. And I love just seeing her in charge of the whole fleet. Absolutely. And she I – because mean, at that point, she thought that she was it, that Sheridan was dead. Yeah. And she was taking it to, you know, the Earth Force. She had taken over – taken the entire mantle – of you know leading this charge against Clark and put it on her shoulders and was going for it again. That's another one of my categories. So, how interesting would it have been if she had ended up having to take the fight? Like, let's say that Sheridan is dead, or let's just say he's incapacitated for months and in the hospital. Um, how amazing would it have been to see Ivanova lead the final assault on Earth and deal with Clark and everything? That I would awesome. not have wanted to be Clark. <laughs> Right. <laughs> New. You're probably better off with Johnny, smiling Johnny, right. than you are with God sent me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, Susan is awesome, and she got a lot to do this episode. Very meaty stuff to chew on. What yeah. was your low point? I know there were, there were, as you like to say, there's emotional low points and there's low points. And I, I found both in this one, so I want to see what you say. Uh, for me, well... I, I found both too. the The escape or the rescue was a low point. Just from I thought it was just lazy writing. Fair enough. Um, for the emotional low point, it was uh, Ivanova's yeah. hospital scene, or, or oh my the, gosh, uh, when she was in the in the hospital. That that was hard to watch because we have talked all all four seasons so far that Ivanova was the heart of Babylon Five, the heart and soul of of mm-hmm. not just the station but the show. And to see her at this point, just days away from death, you know, giving her farewell speech and saying goodbye. Oh, that scene when when her and John were saying goodbye to each other. I mean, that's effectively what they were doing yes. was saying goodbye to each other. That I mean, that brought a tear to my eye a little bit, and yeah. and I knew it was coming, and it was still very emotional, well acted, well written, and just so dramatically powerful. And and it and was, no spoilers, but I think it's interesting to note, as you said, she's the heart. And it kind of shows you can win the battle, but take a mortal blow. Exactly. It's like um, it's like Bullvi in the Thirteenth Warrior. He kills all the all the um, the Neanderthals, basically. I forget what right. they're called. Yeah. And he's standing there, but he's been poisoned, you know. Right. And then I he slumps that, down. Yeah. Uh, the Wendell. Is it? Is the it Wendell. A, a pirate victory or something like yeah, that? Her, yeah, her, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, you lose your heart in this case right, if she's exactly. gone. So, yeah. Um, my other low point besides that, 
was that we were back on the game show set with the League of Non-Aligned Worlds. <laughs> da, 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 da. I swear, they just, all they need are like the little dollar sign boards on front of their little yeah. podiums. When they stood as as a body and stood in, in support of the Earth Force, it wasn't very impressive. Cause all that was the them, worst. All 12 of them stood up at once. <laughs> it was supposed to be a profound inspiring moment and you're just like (laughs) come on and I mean it doesn't help that bless their hearts the aliens in the rogues gallery are not all that impressive some of them are and some of them are not you know what I mean right and and by the way you gotta love the two game like looking at each other like what you me what you know (laughs) whenever like Londo or whatever would say something that they'd show them and and the two game were like yeah, <laughs> looking at each other like, "What me? Who? What? Who are they talking to?" I, I don't oh. think our translator is working because that's not what we're here for. God, <laughs> I that was, was here for the pizza. I don't know yeah. what I'm voting on. <laughs> oh, I, I, again, I mean, we say this with love, right? Because I've Ab- always absolutely. said, it's just like with Doctor Who. You can have special effects that cost twenty-seven bucks, but if you if it's intelligent and it's done with passion and love and and all that intelligence, it's great, and we love it. But right. I just we know they could do better. Why don't they? Why do they? They s- have done better. Yes. Wait, why? They have done better. I thought that, oh, yeah, we won't get it. I know. They got the garden that they've used three times in the entire series, and they yes. keep taking us to that little game show studio. Right. They had a whole stadium full of Minbari for the the uh, the end of the, the Civil War. Yeah. Remember when they were all oh. in there, all in the gathering for that? Oh, I mean, yeah. it was... I don't know. Oh, yeah. Well, anyway, what was your most Babylon... That may have been your most Babylon 5 scene, unfortunately. <laughs> now that you spoiled it, yeah, the League comes together to help Sheridan was the most Babylon 5 Because I thought that was a good scene. I thought it was cool uh, that they did come together. I thought it was kind of neat how they set it up where uh, Lanier and, and Delenn were walking in there expecting the worst. Yeah. And and Londo sold it. You know, I mean, right when they walked in, you thought that he was going to be doing another coup-type Thing, taking over the League of Non-Aligned Worlds or something like that. And then, you know, he comes up with, uh, yeah, we're here to help. I thought that was really a, a good scene and very Babylon 5 because mm-hmm. this forges the League of Non-Aligned Worlds together into the, you know, the Interstellar Alliance. I mean, they, th- this is this is the moment where they did officially all come together for one cause yeah, and look to, you know, the the humans as, you know, the, the, the next shepherds of the galaxy. Yeah, that's true. Well, so the good big, humans. Right, the good humans, right. It was it was a big moment in, in the, the development of the galactic civilization. That's a good point. Yeah, I like it. Um, I had Susan leading the Liberation Fleet at the beginning against the Orion and the Damocles. I thought that was really cool. That was cool. Um, and tells them, basically, change sides or we're going to kill you all, basically. <laughs> Pretty much. Right, and, right. What was your favorite character moment? Again, there's, these are all kind of mix and match here. Right. I'm going to cheat a little bit, and I'm going to go for several scenes. It was um, Ivanova takes charge. And then the, the, just her taking control of the fleet and, and doing what needed to be done I thought was super cool. And the, if I had to pick one scene, it would be that speech she gave right there before you mm. know going into battle against the, the Shadow Destroyers. Um, I thought that was a great speech. It was like you mentioned; it was shadows of the um, 
boy, maybe that was a bad term. It reminded <laughs> me of the uh, the speech Delenn gave yeah. when she was defending Babylon 5. So it was a cool scene, and it, it, it perfectly encapsulated Ivanova's character. I mean, she... You know, it, it. She gave the the greatest sense of Ivanova. You know, she said, "This is my name. These are my parents." And then she started dropping one badass line after another. I mean, that that is just Ivanova's character right there. Yep. No, I agree. Well, my favorite character moment was also Susan, but it was when it was when she told Marcus that she knows what he said before him in yeah. Bari, and she says, "Thank you." Yep. That was Instead of like, what's the matter with you? Leave me alone. You know, it's, right. she actually was gracious about it. And, and it's all, and it's also funny because of all the times that Susan has screwed up speaking Minbari. <laughs> right. Right. But think about how the roller coaster that that Marcus went on from that scene. You know, yeah. where she says thank you to him, realizing, oh my god, I have a chance with this most beautiful woman I've ever met. To just hours later. Her being literally on her deathbed, and and I mean, it, it, good lord, I couldn't even imagine going through something like that. I have a note about that in the spoiler space, so we will definitely have a little bit more to say about that in just a minute. All right. Funniest moment. There was a couple of them. Um, as dark as this episode was, uh, right. let me see the who gulped. I have who. Oh, yes. when when uh, <laughs> they it. were walking through with the canteens, and, and yeah, that was a funny little scene. But Lanier had a, a funny line right at the very beginning when they were walking into the, the council chambers to see what, what Lando is up to. Delenn asks him, what do you think he's done now? And he said, I don't know, but knowing the ambassador, I'm already depressed. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. I had the the gulp thing because that's such a JMS conversation right up there with right. Zip Fasten and all right. that. Um, but also Garibaldi goes up to the guard and says, maybe you've seen me on TV. And he goes, I don't watch TV. Right. It's, a cult- it's a cultural wasteland with filled with inappropriate metaphors, something, something, the liberal media elite. And I love that he says that, which is funny. And then Garibaldi says, I couldn't agree more. And I'm like, right. you're telling the truth. <laughs> Jerry Doyle, you're telling the truth right. there. That I ain't no acting. That line. I know it. I know it. I, I know he had, well, Let's put it this way. Either he ad-libbed it or JMS knew that that's what he would wrote say. It, right? Yeah, wrote it specifically for yeah. him. Right. Like that, the, 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 that famous line where Garibaldi says, I don't want electric chairs, I want electric bleachers. That was written by JMS, but it was written because he knew Jerry Doyle. Right. Yeah. So that was so good. But I love that that guard got that line. I wonder how many takes it took right. for that guard to say all that because it was right. – he I was really even... struggling. You could tell he was really concentrating on that <laughs> delivery. <laughs> um, a cultural wasteland filled with inappropriate metaphors. That's so good. All right. Who won this episode, Andy? Oh, with that last scene, it's hard to say anybody won because uh, yeah. you know, Susan going out like that. But I put Sheridan because he was rescued. He ended up back on the Agamemnon, Agamemnon yeah. and he was leading the charge, You know, the, the final endgame against Clark. So I, I think he won this one. I agree. Also Garibaldi, because he redeemed himself and got back on the good side. Yes, yes. He was my, my B team. What did one. you think about that? Did he get back? Was it easy enough? Did or I mean, was it hard enough? Did they have to put him through enough trials and hoops to jump through? Because some have said he... Some have said, why would, why would number one believe, even when Lita showed her 
why would she not think it was a trick? And why would the other Mars resistance people just automatically obey her when clearly the telepath just did something to her? That's a good point. That's a very good point. I didn't I didn't think about that. I I, I assumed she was convinced because she shared the raw mm-hmm. emotional data from from Lita and Lita just shared everything with her. So I, I, I think she was convinced by that, but why everybody else went along with her. But even at that, she really didn't give him much. She just didn't kill him, you know? Yeah. It, it's, it's not like she, she went That's in true. all in and said, yeah, I'm I'm believing you and we're going to fight with you and all that. She was like, all right, just fine. I'm not going to kill him. Get the hell out of here and go away. Yeah, I agree. Um, made me think of something else and I forgot it now. Uh, if it comes to me, I'll bring it back up. All right, so I said, yeah. Oh, oh, is there any doubt Lita's like a P-30 now? Yeah, no, no doubt whatsoever. She is a war machine, and they need to be, like, treating her that way in a good way. And, you know, I was reading an interview with, with uh, um, the actress. Patricia Tallman. Name off the yes, Patricia Tallman. And she said that she she was willing to do that because to her character, to Lita... Sheridan is her one of her heroes, and she really looks up to Sheridan. And I'm thinking to myself, even after everything he's done to you mm. over the past season, mm-hmm. you still look up. To, and I thought that was tragic. Yes, yeah. It one of the shameful things about, and it's and it may very well be by design of JMS to show that even the good guys have over, you know have blind spots. Right. But they just utterly neglected her. They should have given her the presidential suite on the station right. and giving her a financial stipend. She's a nuclear weapon and they just tossed her out in the trash constantly right. over and over right. and then went and got her out of the trash and said, we need you to do something for us. It's very dangerous. <laughs> we need you to risk your life for us. And she's like, okay. And then they toss her out in the trash again. The way that Lita is treated by our heroes on this show is the most shameful thing about the entire show. Yep. I agree. And, but I mean, and I'm not saying I'm saying that from a character perspective, I agree. Yes, yes. I, I don't. I don't think it was poorly written or anything like that. I think that's how people act sometimes. You know, yes. there, there are there are logical reasons why they would treat her like that. No, I that's agree. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah, I think that JMS may very well have had that planned to, to show right. that not right. everybody's got a feet of clay. Yeah, but I mean, think about this: the Psychor and Bester treat her way better than the right. than the good guys do, <laughs> including Bester saying, "I want your body." Right. <laughs> well, I think somebody said that to her at one point. That was Bester Zach. said that. Oh well, right, but, but that's a whole other guys, yeah. whole right. other defi- whole other context there, Andy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, and I said Lita won the episode, but she doesn't get rewarded for it. And really, to a certain degree, Earth wins and Mars. There's a lot of winners this episode, but definitely Susan kind of lost it. I, I think I feel like Susan won it until she lost it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I said, this was a great Susan episode, and she did faint. And even going out, the way she went out, you know that that her her last oh, yeah that deathbed scene was 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 a home run. So she she even went out as a as a trooper. Marcus lost. President Clark lost. He just doesn't know it yet. Although right. again, the the, the the assistant's coming to deliver the word any minute now. Right. <laughs> and certainly the Shadow Earth Fleet lost. Yes. All right, here we go. It's our own P two and a half rating, um, <laughs> a scale of zero to five, and we use decimals, halves. 
How did you ra- I'm really interested to hear this. How did you rate this episode, Andy? I rated this one a 4.0. I love wow. this episode. I thought, it, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it moved the plot forward in, in interesting ways. I, I loved all the, the action that was in it. All the, the, the space battles was really cool. And as I mentioned before, just Ivanova taking control was, was something special to see. So this is one of my, my more fondly thought of episodes. I gave it a 4. I agree, but as I said, it feels like pieces of other episodes, and in one case it is. So there's a reason why it feels like it. It feels like about parts of three episodes that got chopped down and put into one episode. That's fair. And so that's why I took a little bit away. So I gave it (laughs) 4.0. I toyed with 4.5 because it is a big one. Right. Yeah. But... There were things about it that I was just kind of like, you know, they. I don't like that they did it that right. way, and the, so yeah. yeah. The the rescue scene knocked it down a half a point for me. Yeah, yeah. If, if they had done something just a little, like I said, just a couple lines of dialogue or something, mm-hmm. it, it would have gotten a four point five easily. So Andy, before we get to spoiler space, do our last little wrap up here. Our program does not have ads. We don't have ads. I was listening to one of my favorite shows this afternoon in the car. And they have had a Patreon for a couple of years, and I mean, they pull in the money with their Patreon. And guess what they've started doing this week? Ads. Running ads. And they're like, yeah, we decided everybody else has ads. We should, too. And I'm like, it's to me, to me, it should be one or the other. Right. Not both. Right. You don't ask your listeners for money to support your venture so that they'll get entertainment and then throw ads at them, too. Right. And that, our sh- that, seems, that seems like you're doing the podcast for different reasons. Yeah. The, the White Rocket Network, we don't have ads on any of our shows, and as far as I'm concerned, we never will. We depend on our audience, our loyal listeners who love this stuff like we do, to keep the lights on in the base right. in the hyperspace capsule. And go to www.b5review.com and click on the button that says Become a patron and help us keep the show going. Uh, I personally thank every patron every episode. And so before we get to their comments this time around, we have to thank Allison Rich, the great Allison Rich, what a, one of our greatest supporters from practically day one. Yep, Cur- she's wonderful. Cur- Colonel Dad, a.k.a. Ari Benzane, I'm missing my category, mister. We love you too. Leah G, I mean, all these folks have been with us almost from the beginning, and we just love them all. Leah yeah. G, Rich Hammett, Ben, I'm all caught up, so now I have to wait for new episodes, Rose. I'm sorry about that, Ben. Ben, that's like me with Foundation right now. Oh, crap, <laughs> Andy. As we record this, it is 9.44 my time on Thursday night. When we yeah. wrap this show up, there may be the Friday morning episode of Foundation on my iPad already. It kind of, so, you know, yeah, sometimes they come out a little early. Right. And then I get to make that decision, do I want to try to watch it at night and fall asleep on it, or do I want to wait and watch it in the morning after work? Oh, it's hard. Decision. Foundation's Decision. so good. Yeah. yeah, it's so hard. Um, Debbie, no spoilers. Norris, DragonCon, Delin, Emmanuel Seaman, Jalja, Mond06, Michael O'Connor, Middle-Aged Geek Tim, Pete, the real reason Vanna Void saying DragonCon Furman, not this week or next, Steve Palmer, Stu Parker, The Geek Boy, Una Vez, and Una Luna Azul, Heather and Yancey Steingrabber, Ice Cream Clone with a Boba Fett head, Michael Halbrook, and This Barbie is the Right Hand of Vengeance. 
<laughs> oh, I love it. I like that one. That's good. All right, here are our our patron comments and questions of the week. I'm assuming they relate to the road home. Um, and so let's see. Michael Halbrook says, I am not convinced that this was the OG, that means original gangster, so like the original okay. timeline. One, Zach is black and wearing an Earth Force uniform. I agree, that's weird. Two, number one was a dark-haired woman in an Earth Force uniform. That's in the scene where the, I think where Sheridan's leaving at the beginning. Right. Three, the date John took over. Yes, we talked about that, 2258 versus 2259. And four, no reference to Anna. Now, there was apparently a reference to Anna that we missed. There's a woman that we see on Zahadum, and JMS has said that that's supposed to be Anna. But Oh, really? But Sheridan didn't say anything. Right. So that was weird. I, I thought she was the voice on the other end when they went down to, I don't know. Yeah, it, 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 the fact that he never even uttered her name once... Yeah. That whole scene was just weird. Yes. And then Michael says, and this is another way that, this is what I, remember how I said a little while ago, the more I read about the animated movie, the more confused I get. So Michael says, as to Lanier, didn't he meet them on the station to accompany them back? He didn't betray them until after they left the station. I'm so confused now. It's all just making me have a headache, honestly. I'm just going to have to trust the great maker. It was a know. fun movie to watch. Uh, yes. Jal says, New Sheridan has still never heard of Zaha Doom. He has only heard of Zaha Boom. And that's true. I like that. That's true. Uh, thanks to Allison. Oh, I mean, uh, no, I, was, I was just about to say thanks to Lita, and I looked up at Allison's quote. I said, thanks to Allison. <laughs> Sorry, Allison. It wasn't your, wasn't your fault at all. It was Lita Alexander. Allison says, the Mimbari in white who holds back Delenn is not Lanier. Lanier first shows up when Sheridan slides into alternate B5. The other dark-haired woman has to be number one, but it sure doesn't look like her. Did you catch Lita's little homage to Bester? Well, I am a telepath. I didn't catch that. Again, I have to watch the whole thing over again. Hmm. She says, I love the scenery animation, but the people animation was odd. Overly tall people with long, long legs and bodybuilder torsos. That was just, the I think, the style they were going for. Right. Um, it's definitely too superhero for me, and you're right. The shadows were definitely out of Starship Troopers. I loved how the universe was uh, was played by Jakar. After all, he did write that the universe speaks in many languages. The moon crashing into Earth was brutal, much like the big asteroid in The Expanse. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. It was hard to watch. We, the hard to watch keeps coming up. That's that book by Tracy Morgan in uh, <laughs> in uh, Parks and in, in um, Thirty Rock. Right, I love that. Right. I I love that book. It, hard to watch. I've used that before as a meme. So she says it's a solid three point five for me too. The movie. That being because you and I both gave it a three point five, didn't we? Or yep, pretty much. I believe so. She says, that being said, it was an emotional experience, and I'm so glad we have this new film. I've watched it twice now. I need to watch it again to pick up things I missed. I want more. Oh, amen to all of that, and i got to watch it a second time. I'm trying to let it sit for a little bit. And like I said, I'll probably watch it on my iPad on the plane flying to Atlanta so I can be ready to talk about it right on top of my head. I've been spending the last two or three weeks, Andy, binge-watching Foundation again, and i am still got about two or three episodes to go to get caught back up. But because it's so good, and so I'm gonna kick butt on that. That panel is gonna be awesome, man! I can't wait for the foundation panel. I'm so glad That's I'm on cool. it. Uh, let's see. This Barbie is the right hand of vengeance. Says I'm enjoying this season. I started the books, and I'm already in Act Four 
on foundation. Oh, this is about the foundation thing. It's certainly a fantastic companion piece while making its own story interpretation. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's see. About the movie, Ben says, I think I can answer your question about Babylon 4. Perhaps if Andy wasn't so busy giving war without in such a terrible rate, you're never going to get past that. It's like the, the Vietnam War of our podcast. You know what? That is going to be my next T-shirt design. Is going to be I gave War Without End a 3.0. <laughs> it's so good. Um, he said he Andy might have noticed what Delenn said as Babylon Four neared completion. The Allies of the Shadows recognized it for what it was and sent these ships to destroy it. The Shadows didn't attack Babylon Four because they were still hibernating. Their allies are the ones carrying the bomb. Again, I just get so confused. This is I, I thought I was a master of B5 lore, but this animated movie has exposed me as a charlatan and a fraud, and I'm really depressed. I, don't, I, don't, I think he's talking about War Without End, because I don't remember Babylon 4 even being mentioned in the animated movie. No, it wasn't. He's talking about how... Did the did the animated movie, by not having the... Uh, uh, okay. By not having Valen go back... Right. And take Babylon 4 back, did that mean the shadows win the original war? And there is no, you know, it's all kind of convoluted. See, the last thing I needed when I'm already confused is time travel. (laughs) (laughs) So that just makes it 10 times worse. I love time travel stories, but man, they give me a headache. Yeah. I've told you the story before that, like, the first book I wrote that used time travel, I had to print the entire thing out in chapters lay all the chapters on the floor in my entire house and then use a different color pen to renumber them in the right order for the, oh my God. Wow. That's dedication. I really did that. I really did. Um, So yeah, Ben, we appreciate that. I'm sure you're right. I'm just, uh, it it, it makes my head hurt. (laughs) You know, as a writer, I've sworn off writing any time travel stories or any Sherlock Holmes stories because I don't think I could pull either one of them off. Um. Uh, really quickly about Foundation, the review show that John and I did. Leah G says, thank you for the review. I haven't watched the show or read the books, but it sounds intriguing. Definitely may check it out. So she enjoyed without even being a, being a watcher. That's really cool. I'm glad we were able to maybe bring some new people into the show. It's a really great show. That's cool. we got to get you to watch it. What's holding you back? You said you watched part of one and then stopped? I did. I, I, I don't have the time. <laughs> I don't have enough spare time to watch every show I want to watch. I but I did. I, I I tend to watch a lot of my shows when I'm working out on my elliptical up in my bedroom. So I was watching that. Yeah, I, I that got too. twenty. I got twenty minutes into it, and then something happened, and I had to get off the elliptical to to put out a fire or take care of something or something like that. And I just haven't gotten back to it. There you go. So. There it is. And, I, and finally, Leah says, watched the animated movie this weekend and was so pleased. Agree with Andy about the ending and wondered the same about future installments occurring in the alternate universe. I also had the same feelings you both expressed about some things, Anna, the Shadow Hordes. The Shadow Hordes looked almost childish, which got me thinking, except for the conversation with Jakar on the rim, the whole movie had an ambiance of being geared to adults, but accessible to younger people down to possibly even the tween set, almost a mirror of Star Trek product. Plus, there was enough backstory for those who were dipping their toes in. I agree. That's one of the. Let me pause for a second. That's one of the things I was looking for, Andy. Is I always look at when a show is doing something like this years and years later. 
you want to provide as much information and backstory as you can, but you have to do it very, very strategically so you don't just info dump right. and drive people away. Like the absolute nader, the absolute low point of that is the 1984 Dune movie, <laughs> where for whatever reason, um, Lynch felt the need to try to explain everything up front, including stuff that didn't need explaining. Right. So when I watched the new Dune movie, and by the way, there's bad news about that, which, but when I watched the new Dune movie, I had one eye on the movie and one eye mentally dissecting how Villeneuve was giving us the background information we need, and I thought he did it brilliantly compared to what was done in 84. Agreed. Agreed. And I think JMS did it very well and very succinctly with yes. this animated movie. Yes. I thought, I thought, and I agree with her. I think it was geared towards a much broader audience than the was. typical sci-fi 90s show was you know, aimed at. Um, the bad news is they have now officially moved Dune 2 into, like, March of 24. Hmm. It was set for, like, November, and November, now, it's, yeah. now it's March of the next year, which is roughly what they did to Ready Player One back in 2017, 2018. So I, this is yeah. not the first time I've been bitterly disappointed by a movie moving. They may still... Napoleon, the big movie I'm waiting for is Ridley Scott's Napoleon. It hasn't moved yet. It's also November, but you know that it may... They're just going to ruin the holiday Christmas movie season, and I understand. I mean, I understand. I sympathize, but it's still depressing. Yeah, it is. Is this all because of the strikes? Yes, it's all because of the strikes. Yeah. Because they want publicity. They want the actors to go on junkets and go to cons and everything, and they're... They can't. You, know, you know the best way to do that? Settle the strike. Yes. Amen. Settle... Instead of, instead of spending money to move, you know, to reschedule movies and all that stuff, settle the strike... Look, and it's all taken care of. We all know what's going to happen, right? In a few months, the studios are going to come up with a compromise that properly treats the actors and the writers. We know they're going to do it. Right. Just do it. Right. They know they're going to do it, too. Of course they do. Yeah. They don't seriously think they're going to get everything, and, and the actors and the writers are going to starve to death and crawl back begging for their jobs. No. There, there's going to be a settlement. It's not going to be 100% either way. Just go ahead and do it now. Save us the agony. Well, you got to figure the actors, there are two types of actors. There's the multimillionaires who mm -hmm. have multi-millions of dollars. And then there's the starving actor who has a second job as, you know, a, a, waiter. a waiter somewhere. Yes. They're just going to continue waiting. You mm -hmm. know, they don't have to. <laughs> right. You know, losing Hollywood isn't going to hurt them at all. They'll just mm -hmm. go, you know, go back to waiting or go back to home to, to get a real job. And the multimillionaires have multi-millions of dollars. They don't they're care good. if there's no more movies made. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're fine. So the studios so, are going to end up losing. But Yes, uh, that 100%. The studios are going to be, I don't know that it's going to be all the studios losing, but it's going to be it's going to be mostly the studios losing. And they right. need to just deal with it and exactly. suck it up. Right. And move on, right? And and stop punishing everybody because they're so freaking greedy. Oh, right. They're they're doing nothing but moving public opinion against themselves. Yes, a hundred percent. My apologies to Leah. This is the last thing, and I had paused her partway through. The shadow horrors right. looked almost childish, which got me thinking. Except for the conversation with Jakar, the movie had obviously been geared toward a young 
being toward adults, but accessible to younger people like Prodigy. Plus, there was enough backstory for those who were dipping their toes in B5 for the first time not to be lost. For this venture to gain momentum, my guess is the fan viewer base needs to be expanded. And the movie seemed on track to do this while still trying to delight the existing fan base. For this reason, including the hope it will succeed and the fact that I enjoyed it much, I give it a 4.5, says Leah G. Yeah, well, that's totally legit. I, I dig her reasoning. I'm going to say, when you lay it out like that, right? you can't argue. It, and and I, I would say that my rating, I gave it a 3.0. And my rating was based on an episode of Babylon 5 or a Babylon 5 story. When, when you lay it out like that, it succeeded at everything it set out to do. Yeah. So, <laughs> Including in confusing regards, me. <laughs> right. In, in that regard, yeah, it, it was easily a 4.5 or even a 5.0. I, th- I think it did a spectacular job for setting, doing what it set out to do. I, to my do. rating was more of a reflection on how how does this compare to other Babylon Five stories? Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that was me too. That was my thinking as well. Yeah. So I agree. Okay. Well put, Leah. Well put. Very All right. So. On our next, we got a little bit of spoiler space, but not much. On our next installment, we will cover Four Twenty Endgame, and that's not the Avengers movie, right. but it <laughs> but it is about as momentous for the Babylon Five universe as the as Avengers Endgame. Um, it, you know, it's uh, it's it's earth changing. <laughs> Both of them yeah. are earth cha- world changing. So for sure, uh, I remember when I saw the name of that episode, I was like, "Oh, here we go!" Right? I mean, it's just like it's just like when Into the Fire. When you found out that four oh six was going to be called Into the Fire, you're like, "Oh, remember what Kosh said? How does this end?" Well, oh, I'm sorry. Hey, Kosh, how does this? How does it end? In fire. And you're just like, oh, it's called Into the Fire? Well, I guess this is where it ends. And it did. And when I saw that 420 was called Endgame, I was like, oh, here we go. Here we go, baby. The final showdown with Clark. So I was super, super excited for this one. And it's, it, it's, I think it's going to be worth it. Now, so join us in two weeks for Endgame. But now we're going to go through the spoiler jump gate. Jump gate activated. All right, here we are. That was your spoiler warning. We are now in the section of the show where we talk about stuff beyond the current episode. And I just have two points here. I don't know if you do you have any you want to throw out? I do not have any. Okay, very quickly, we'll wrap this thing up. I, I do have one. I, yes, I just please. Of, but when they... Oh, how do I even put this? When they wrote that, that scene with Ivanova, mm-hmm. did they... Had it been determined? I don't think it had been determined at this point that she wasn't coming back for the fifth season. No. Okay. She was expected so was, back. Right. So that was all part of the the original plan then. Yes. Yeah. The, okay. Her 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 being injured was not part of getting her off the show at all. Gotcha. Okay. That that was my only spoiler speak. Um. And bearing in mind when they filmed this episode, they didn't even know there was going to be a season five. Right, exactly. So, you know, she she le- legitimately she could have been killed in this episode, and as JMS understood things at the time, it wouldn't have made that much of a difference to what we saw on the TV show. Right. It was only after they got a season five unexpectedly at the last minute that that they say let's bring everybody back, and that was when they were unable to get her back. Right. And they've argued about that for thirty years. So. Which we'll talk about when we get to, when the time comes. Right. Um, 
we never see the Shadow Destroyers again. Hmm. That's true. They had their they were one and done. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, we never find out anything else about them because we never see them again. And I always wonder when Garibaldi kind of becomes in charge of building spaceships, you know, in season in season five or Crusade or whatever. Does he go and track down the place where they're building them and like blow it up? Because I could imagine a nice <laughs> little short story where he does that. Yeah, I can too. Yeah. And then my other spoiler point was, why doesn't Stephen Franklin immediately start lining up dozens of volunteers to take turns using the alien healing machine on Susan? Right. I have wondered this for 30, for 25, how many ever years? Right. 26 I, I, years. I mean, I, I can see, you know, for a dramatic sacrifice, you know, it, it works for that. Yeah. The, the, how, how it turned out. Yeah. But it, it doesn't, logically, it doesn't make, for continuity in logic, it doesn't make sense. Because, yeah, they've already showed that more than one person can, can mm-hmm. you know, give a, a portion of their life force to save this other person, you know, to save somebody who, who is in need. But for some reason, it's just Marcus doing it. You know, by the way, I think it was interesting. I would have, I thought it would have been interesting if when, uh, when Lorian gave Sheridan 20 years, mm-hmm. it would have been interesting if Lorian like did his like sensing of him and all and said, and said something like, I could have given you 25, but I see that you've already yeah. given part of yours, right? Because he saved Garibaldi. Yeah. Remember, remember Sheridan's like, hook me up. Yep. I remember that. That would have been a very interesting callback. That would have been really cool. But I just feel like with Ivanova, they would have found a way to line people up. No, no kidding. Everybody uh, everybody the, would the, have volunteered. The, the Drazi. Right. She could have had the purple and the green both oh, volunteered. The freaking Drazi army would have lined up for their great leader. Right. She's the supreme commander of the Drazi on Babylon 5. <laughs> Come on, man. What? I don't know, man. I, I I thought that for the past 30 years myself. I'm like, wait a minute. Why did he have to do it that way? Why did he do it all? He didn't have to. Oh, I don't know. Maybe maybe when we watch the the rest of the episodes, we'll we'll find our answer. Or maybe our awesome patrons will offer their insight and they'll explain to us why. Yes. Yes. I Well, I think it's I think it was just because it made such a dramatic thing it in did. The, in the right. moment you're thinking, oh, wow, Marcus, that's incredible. And you yeah. look back on it later and you go, wait a minute. <laughs> we didn't have oh, to man. do it that you way, did it. you? <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see what he folks have to say know, about it. He didn't read the instruction manual. It's a problem. <laughs> I didn't know he even knew about it. I guess he did, maybe. I can't remember. He was, he was even on the show. when It, it came in. At the, it, was the, it was the next to last episode of season two, right? I think that's right. Yeah. And he wasn't even on the show yet. He's a season three character. Yeah, I mean, he was a ranger at the time, but we had never seen him on Babylon Five. So I don't know. Right. I don't know if he just stumbled across it while hanging out with Franklin. Maybe they talked about that on their long voyage to Mars. I don't know. Oh, there you go. That would have been a very interesting. There's another good callback, as if as if they had shown them talking about it. That would have been right. Again, that's the kind of thing JMS is usually really good at is dropping the seeds right. early on. You know, like exactly have, have Stephen saying, "Oh, you know, Marcus, uh, man, there's this there's this device that I found, and it actually lets you transfer a life force and and heal people. Man, I can't ever use that thing again. I oh 
Oh, really, Stephen? What did you do with it? Oh, I locked it away in this vault over in the far right side of the of the of the room. Oh, okay. And the Marcus is like filing that away, you know, for right. some future use. That would have been really cool. Yeah, I agree. Well, sir, I think we're to the end. I think so as well. I think uh, I think we had a good another good conversation. It's always fun chatting B five with you. <laughs> It always is, and I'm glad our listeners enjoy it, too, and we appreciate the patron comments. If you want to leave comments and questions like our folks just did, go to www.b5review.com, become a patron, and uh, not only do you support Keep the Show Going, but you can go in there and leave comments and questions for us that we talk about on the air, and we thank you and appreciate you. All right, so the beef, the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast, which I don't think I said at the top like I usually do. I'm not sure. Yeah, I did. Um, it's done for another episode. Andy, we will see you down the road. All right, man. Take care. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.